We are looking at a few verses from Jude, and I chose these verses particularly. I know we are in, Chris, in the Christmas theme, and we're thinking about that. But I chose them particularly because uh, I was thinking about most of us here. Uh, maybe we've had a difficult year. Uh, some of us find ourselves in a place where we are hoping for God to carry us. Or does twile, as we heard in the song, to keep us. Uh, so I chose these words here particularly for that. But, but I heard as well as I got here that there are some who would be confessing their faith. And so I'm hoping that these words uh, themselves would become words of encouragement to them. How about I read Jude? We'll read only from verse 17 uh, all the way up to verse 25. And then I'll pray and we will get to it. The title of the message is Keep Yourselves and Kept by God. Uh, the most important part there is the kept by God. We keep ourselves in the love of God, knowing that God keeps us. So that's what you would take away from today, from those verses. Let me read them fast, then I'll pray. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, Devoted of the spirit, devoid of the spirit, rather. But you, beloved, you, but you, beloved, building yourself up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save those, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, mixed with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you, before, to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time. And now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray as we turn to your word, that by the power of your spirit, you would speak to us. Amen. Let me just ask you a few questions. Do, do you know anyone who has walked away from the faith? Someone who was once in the church, had professed to be a Christian, but now they've walked away from the faith. Know anyone? I'm sure some of us do. Do you know anyone who's returned? After they had walked away. I'm sure you do. But one question I want to ask is, why do some stay? Or why do most stay? Why do they decide to stick around in the Christian faith and the church and live for God? In recent years, we have heard lots of stories about a number of people who've walked away from the faith. I can think of a number of them. Bart Campolo was one that I liked. He just decided he's done. He had a time when he was really struggling with his faith. But after a cycling incident, he decided, now I'm done with all of this. And then there's, I don't know if you know this guy. This guy is called Kevin Max. He's part of a group that was called DC Talk, Distant Christian. I'm sure you know Toby Mac was part of that group. He got to a point as well where he just decided, no, I'm done. I'm gone. I'm leaving. And then there's Maddie Simpson. I don't know if you've heard of him. It's part of a band called Hillsong. There's quite a lot of stuff about them on Disney at the moment. Documentary you should watch. Maddie Simpson 
just like the church, despite their flaws, was used by God. Wrote a number of wonderful songs that you've heard. If you have taught kids ministry, as some of the people here have, I'm sure you know the song, Tell the World That Jesus Lives. Tell the World That. One of the writers. The song that you sing here, Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Oh, praise his name forever. One of the writers went on Instagram during lockdown and said, Guys, I feel like I'm losing my faith. A number of people went in to try and encourage him, but there are few people who were concerned. You can't say this. He's a public figure, a public Christian. Didn't take too long for him to decide to walk away. He once again announced on Instagram, Instagram important, instead of church, Instagram that he is walking away from the faith. But the one that hit me the hardest is Joshua Harris. I was... I became a Christian through the ministry of this church called Focus, but I also used to go to a charismatic church. So I loved Joshua Harris and Sovereign Grace because the church had a bit of both, right? They embraced a bit of the both backgrounds that I came from. And I remember when he said he is also walking away from the faith. How gutted I was. It was gut-wrenching. But let me tell you this. All of this is gut-wrenching, not just because some celebrity people decided they will walk away from the faith. It is gut-wrenching because I have seen friends walk away from the faith. Sitting at the back is a good friend of mine, Victor. He and I used to serve in the student ministry together. One of our close friends did all-night prayers together, found ways to encourage each other. It was so gut-wrenching to see him walk away. Gut-wrenching. But I'll tell you that as I think about this, this is gut-wrenching to me, not because of celebrities or friends, but because I've had times when I thought, I'm done. Forget this whole ministry thing. Let me go find a job somewhere else. Actually, while I'm there, I might just decide, forget this whole Jesus thing. And I know that in those moments, it's been moments when I have perhaps misunderstood something about God, when I've looked at God and the suffering in the world, and cannot correlate the two, and really struggled with that. Times when I've struggled, when I've looked at the history of the church, but I'll tell you the deepest one, the hardest one, has been my own struggle with my own doubt, my own sin, things that have caused me to wonder, should I just give up on this? But why have I stayed? Jude writes to a group of Christians, who have been bombarded with a lot of lies. And he writes to them to help them to stay in the faith. He realizes that they might be tempted to walk away. He realizes that some among them are doubting. Some are drifters. Some have actually defiled themselves because they have walked away. There's these guys who have walked into the church and they're teaching a different gospel. They are saying, verse 4, you can believe in Jesus but still decide to live the way you want. And you see, when you find yourself in sin and you're living in sin for a while, it's quite easy for doubt to creep in. But it seems like in verse 8, they're also claiming some special experience, whether it's dreams or special knowledge that makes them better, that excuses their behavior. So he writes to these Christians to help them see, hey, don't buy into what these guys are saying. Stick to the true gospel that you heard. This gospel, verse 1, And two, notice what it says. This gospel that says, you are called. God chose you before the foundations of the world. Before you knew him, God set his eyes on you. This gospel that says, God has loved you with an everlasting love. 
this gospel that says, God will keep you. That phrase there says, for Jesus, keep you in Jesus, and you'll be kept by Jesus. He says, stick to this gospel. Fight against this false teaching. Contend against this false teaching that has come into the church. Don't buy into what these guys are saying. What he's giving them here is both words words of encouragement and a warning. It's a guardrail to keep them on the path. I'm sure you guys know what guardrails are. If you've been driving on the freeway, there's a guardrail to stop the traffic from coming onto you, or rather you going onto the traffic. On a bridge, on a curve, what he gives to them here are guardrails to help them to stay in the path. Some have gotten baptized today. Jews' words today will be here for you to help you to stay on the path. He'll give you words that will be here to encourage you as you hear from him. And as we turn to this passage, there are really two things I want to point, uh, want us to, I want to, point us to. And the two things are, you heard them in the title. Keep yourselves in the love of God. He gets practical here about how they can do that, how they can fight for the faith, how they can keep themselves living in the way that will please God. He's clear, two things. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Two, you'll be kept by God. The second one is very important. We keep ourselves in the love of God, knowing that God will keep us. That's what the gospel says. We don't do this one, hoping that God does this one. No. We have full knowledge and assurance that God will do this one, which is why we keep ourselves in the love of God. Two things. So let's look at the first one. Keep yourselves in the love of God from verse 17 to 22. I want you to notice there that there are, there's a phrase there that drives this whole section that Jude uses. And that phrase there is the phrase, keep yourselves in the love of God. Can you see it in verse 21? He says, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal love. But he actually tells them how they ought to do it. To do it. There are two verbs here, two very important verbs. The first one is remember. But the one that drives this section is this idea of keep yourselves in the love of God. So how can they do it? How can they keep themselves in the love of God? Two things under this first point. And here are the two things. He says, look to God. And then he is going to say to them, look out for others. How do you keep yourself in the love of God? How do you keep yourself in the gospel? This faith that is true. While he says, look to God and look out for others. That should sound familiar, right? That should sound like love God, love neighbor. Look to God and look out for others. The first one under the first point is, under look to God is, notice what he says in verse 17. So how do you look to God? That's the first thing. How do we do it? In verse 17 he says this to them. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, he says to them, look back. If you want to look to God, the way that you look to God is by looking back. It's by remembering what you were taught. He's basically pointing them to God's word. When he's calling them to remember what the apostles taught, he's saying, remember God's word. How do we keep ourselves in the love of God? We look to God, but the first way to do it is by looking back, by remembering his word. Because it is his word that builds us up in this, small, in this most holy faith. If you want to grow as a Christian, it is not without this. You grow because God has given you his word. He has spoken. And this word here feeds you. 
and it builds you up. It builds you up just like maybe someone who's preparing for war, a soldier, who finds a way to build themselves up because they know there's something that's coming. Or someone who goes to gym or sportsman, whatever it is. See, without the word of God, there's no maturity for the Christian. Without the word of God, there's no growth. Without the gospel, there's nothing of eternal value we gain. So he wants them to look back first, because that's how they will, they, they will be built up. And as they look back, God's word will become their own words. So when we spend time memorizing God's word, studying God's word, it actually becomes our very own words. In the same way with Michael the archangel, a little bit earlier. Michael the archangel has a conversation with Satan. And you know whose words he uses? God's word. He's basically calling for trust in God. That's what he does. When God's word becomes what we anchor ourselves in, it becomes something that helps us to stand firm when we face times of doubt, when we're struggling with sin. That's what it does. And it helps us to see something that is a counterfeit, something that is fake from far. You are able to spot something that might lead you away from God from very far because you know the word of God. I don't know if you know that in the banking industry, Saab actually does a campaign quite often with this. They will often say, this is what, I was hoping to pull out the 10 rand. <laughs> this is what uh, our notes look like. I mean, we have new ones. And they will give you a way to study the real thing, to understand what the real thing looks like. They don't give you fakes and say study the fakes so that you are able to spot out what is real. No, they give you what is real. And when you've seen what is real, you spot the fake, something that might lead you away from far. This is why we keep ourselves in the love of God. This is how we do it. We look to God, but we look back. We remember his words. We remember what he has said. And here he's simply saying, remember we told you that there will be people that will try, that will try and lead you astray. So remember God's word. So under look to God, the first thing is look back. The second one is this. I want you to see it. Is look up. Notice what he says to them there. He calls these believers, if you notice, to be praying, verse 20, in the Holy Spirit. Did you see that phrase? To be praying in the Holy Spirit. And that's the idea of looking up, looking up to God. He's asking them to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now I know some of you are already thinking, what does that mean? Does that mean I need to speak in a foreign tongue? No, no, he's calling them to pray in a manner that pleases God. To pray according to God's will. I want you to see in the verses, he makes a comparison between those who have the Spirit of God and those who are devoid of the Spirit. The false teachers are devoid of the Spirit, but you, you've got the Spirit. And when you pray according to God's will, when you pray for other believers, when you pray for yourself to be kept, you are actually praying in the Spirit. You're filled in the Spirit. You are praying in the Spirit as you do exactly that. That's what he's calling them to do. God has spoken to us, so we turn back and speak to him. And we speak to him through prayer. My wife and I have been married for nine years now, just a year behind David, except we have more kids than he does. <laughs> I think you guys knew that joke was coming. Uh, if my wife and I in our relationship, the only one who spoke in that relationship was my wife, there wouldn't be a relationship there now, isn't it? Now, I know some of the married men are already thinking, Reggie, this sounds like a trick. I thought you're not meant to speak. You're meant to allow her to speak. 
No, no, if there's a relationship without one person speaking, or if it's just one person speaking, there isn't any relationship. God has spoken to us in his word, so we speak back to him in prayer. We turn back to him and ask him not only to care for us, but to care for those who are dear to us. And it's simple things. It's a conversation. Short conversation in the morning, in the evening, all throughout the day. It could be any time. I love the way that one author puts it. His name is Charles Spurgeon. He says this, I always feel it well to put in a few words of prayer between everything I do. So between everything he does, he's thinking, I'm just going to be talking to God, talking about my life, talking about those who are near to me. So how do we look to God? I've given you to you. To you. you look back, but now you look up. And third one, you look forward. I don't know if you see that. In verse 21 again, verse 21, he says this to them. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Can you see what he's calling them to do? He's saying, look forward. Look forward. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the day when Jesus will return to make all things right. To make all things right so you and I don't have to struggle with sin. Don't have to struggle with doubt. Don't have to struggle with those who might try and lead us away from God. A new world. No pain. No tears. But you notice the phrase he uses there? He uses the idea of waiting. I think that's the problem in that phrase, isn't it? None of us like waiting. I don't. I'm terrible at waiting. Really terrible at waiting. When I go into a grocery store, often, and sometimes I take my boys, because I like to torture myself, (laughs) so I'll take them with me. And as I'm doing the grocery shopping, I'm already looking at the queue that's the fastest. I don't know if you do that. I'm already looking at it and thinking, which one will move faster? And as soon as I get to the till, I'm waiting there. If the one next to me is moving a little bit quicker, I tend to move that way. I mean, I do it even when you're driving out of a mall. The closest one to my house is Clearwater Mall. There's one way that, there's basically one road and then it splits into two. I take time before I decide to move to either side, and that's sinful. I wait, I wait. And the worst thing to happen is when you've decided to move your trolley or your car to the other side. And then someone says, can I give you my meter number? (laughs) Or the guy's card gets jammed. And now you're there waiting. Waiting is often hard. But when you're waiting for something that's worth it, you don't complain about waiting. You don't. A few years ago, before our third born was born, we went to an OBGYN, a gynae. He's one of the best, he said, said to be that. Uh, thank God for my wife's uh, good benefits. Uh, so we went to this guy, said to be one of the best. You get there, you book the appointment, you have arrived 30 minutes earlier, and you might be able to see him 30 minutes later than what you booked. But we knew he was one of the best. And we wanted to see how our child is growing. And the wait was waiting. The wait was worth it. It was worth waiting. When you, what you are waiting for is worth it. The waiting isn't hard. So the way we keep ourselves in the love of God is we look forward. We know Jesus is bringing us something better than this world could offer. Better than the brokenness we often struggle with. Not just internally, but in churches. In the world around us. When we know what's coming is so much better, it is worth waiting for. So that's the first thing. He says, look to God. And you do that by looking back. And you do that by looking up. 
And you do that by looking forward. And then he says, look out for others. I don't know if you see that in those verses there. Verse 22, he says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To those, to others, show mercy with, uh, with fear. Mixed with fear, some will say. Hating even the garment stained with flesh. There are three groups of people he talks about there. I don't know if you see them. He talks about those who are doubters. You see that? Some say it's two, but I think it's three. Doubters. And then he talks about those who are drifters. And then he talks about those who are defiled. Look at how he says you should deal with doubters. Doubters are people who are just struggling to reconcile what they see in the world and what they know about God, and it leads them to doubt. He says this is the way you deal with them. It is with mercy and compassion. That person doesn't have a violent reaction to the gospel. It's not as though they've decided to walk away from Jesus. They're struggling with doubt. You deal with them with mercy to help to bring them back into the fold. He's asking that those who are, who are doubting be doubt, that, be doubt with that way. And as someone who's struggled with doubt, I know doubt can be crippling. It can be really crippling. Because it's you to wonder about the goodness of God. It gets to a point, actually, when it's not dealt with, where you're starting to move a little bit further away from God. So he says, deal with them with mercy so that you can be able to bring them back in. And notice that there's another group he talks about who are drifters. These are people who are actually flirting with danger. They are flirting with the idea of sin or walking away from God. And notice how he says, you should deal with them. You snatch them from the fire. Something here the fire is talking about, the consequences of their sin. Some think it could be eternal judgment. I think the first one is probably much more clearer. As you look at that person, you find a way to snatch them from their sin. If you see a child that is extending their hand towards a stove, you don't wait. You don't just say, go ahead, boo-boo. Do what you like. Do what feels good inside. Do what your heart leads you to do. You don't do that. You yank them from that. Because you want to save them from something that would hurt them. Those who are drift them, drifting, pull them back. This is his idea. Sound the alarm. Sound the alarm so that they'll be able to come back into the fold. John Calvin puts it this way. Where there is danger of fire, we hesitate not to snatch away violently whom we desire to save. For it would not be enough to beckon with the finder or kindly to snatch forth the hand. You don't kindly snatch forth the hand. You yank them. You're walking towards danger, brother. Come back. The gospel is better. Jesus is better. And the last group he talks about are those who are defiled. And he says, deal with them with mercy that is mixed with fear. The defiled group seems to to be people who have walked away. They seem to have walked away. It's the last group that he talks about there. You deal with them with mercy mixed with fear. Why? Why mixed with fear? It's because their own sin or their own lifestyle may pull you away as well. You may be contaminated by their lifestyle. So you deal with them with mercy. And when he says mercy, you treat them like an unbeliever. Now, that's not a terrible phrase. You treat them like someone who does not know the gospel and need to be gospel again. But you have this fear because you know this very sin could contaminate you. At this time of the year, a lot of the church programs come to an end, whether it's students, it's the young adults, it's our life groups, whatever it is. 
or your life groups, whatever it is, it comes to an end. And very often for some people, when they are away from community, these are the times when they find themselves tempted to doubt. It's often when they find themselves drifting. Some of them because they've gone back home, they've mixed with the wrong crowd. So listen to these words. Look out for others. Look out for those who've professed their faith in Jesus today. Look out for others. And as we do this, we do it knowing that God will keep us. That's the second point. God will keep us. That's what he wants them to know. We are working alongside God. Paul, in another part, this is another author, he says this, we work with God, but knowing that it is God who works in us to will. So we work alongside God, but God is really the one who's holding us together. We keep ourselves in the love of God, knowing that we are kept by God. But notice in this passage, these believers are kept from something and kept for something. Kept from something and for something. Look at the passage and we'll see it together. Notice what he says. He says, now to him who is able to keep you, do you see that phrase? From. From stumbling. God is able to keep you from stumbling. And all of us here, doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter how long you've walked with Jesus. It doesn't matter how much knowledge of the Bible you have. All of us are prone to stumbling. All of us are prone to falling into sin. But the idea here is God keeps his people. And we work alongside God to help others to, become, to come back to him. So he's clear they'll be kept from stumbling. It reminds me of a story. I love telling stories by H.P. Charles. He tells the story of a father and son who are walking together down a road. The son is holding on to the father, and each time he keeps tripping and falling. He trips and falls and lets go of the father's hand as, as he's falling. Eventually, the father says, I'll hold your hand. The father holds his hand. They're walking down the road. He trips, but because the father is holding on to him, he doesn't stumble and fall. He still has trips, but the father is holding on to him. You'll be kept from stumbling. You'll be kept from stumbling. And notice what you will be kept for then. You'll be kept for being presented blameless, without blemish before this very God who keeps you. That's the idea. This God will keep you to present you as blameless before him. And none of us are blameless. None of us are. But because someone else, this is what the Christmas story is about, took on flesh, lived the life that we should have, that a death that we deserved, rose in victory, you and I can be presented before God without blame. It does not matter what you have done. Because of what God has done in Jesus, you can be presented before him without blame. And that should be something that encourages you to keep yourself in the love of God. Knowing that God will keep you until the very end. Aren't those just wonderful words of encouragement? To know that? I mean, Jude isn't the only one who's saying it. His half-brother, Jesus, actually said this before him. Jesus said this, I know my sheep, and my sheep know my, they know my voice. And those whom the Father has given to me, he will not lose. Do you know why? Because no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. No one. Nothing can snatch you out of the Father's hand. That's why Paul says, There is nothing in all of creation, no height, no depth, not even the power of hell can separate you from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. 
And that's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to stick to this gospel, to stick to this message we have heard. This is what keeps us. This is what helps us to live for God. And so as you think of yourself over this Christmas holiday and think of others, remember that there is a God who preserves the saints, the preservation of the saints, so that the saints will be able to persevere, the perseverance of the saints. There's a God who preserves his saints. So let's keep ourselves in the love of God. and Look to God and look out for others. Let me close with this story. It's a story that I love. Don't know if you've heard of Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. Wonderful choir. In this choir, well, the church that the choir is from, the, the, the daughter of Jim and Kathy, Simbala, walked away from the faith. She decided she was done. That's it. I'm done. The family prayed for her. They tried so many ways to try and get her back. The father even tried to use money to bring her back. Go to a point where he decided, you know what, this, this is it. I've tried all I can. It felt like he had given up. And on one evening, one of the elders in his church comes to him and says, I feel God has impressed this message upon my heart. Now, I know that that sounds strange for some people. God has impressed this upon my heart. God is saying we should pray for your daughter and she will return. He didn't know when. Could have been tomorrow. Could have been, we will see her in the new creation. But they believed she would come back. And they prayed. And they prayed, just like they had been doing. Jim, the next day, is in his house. He is shaving himself. And as he's shaving, his wife, Kathy, bursts into the bathroom and says, you won't believe who is here. Kathy is downstairs. She had been gone for so many years. Kathy, not Kathy, Kathy is the mother. Christy is back home. The father goes back down, and the very first thing he does is embrace her. Just embrace her. Giving us a picture of what happens when we walk away from God and come back. He, he embraces us. He embraces us. And you know what? God actually longs to embrace even those that are not within his shipfold. If you remember John 10, I've got sheep that are outside this shipfold who need to hear from him. God longs to embrace so many other people. And the Christmas season reminds us of that. Do you know where Christy is now? Since 1992, she and her husband have been leading a church in San Diego. God brought her back and has used her and so many others to keep others in the love of God, knowing that they will be kept by God. For those who are baptized today, my prayer for you is that God will keep you. My prayer is that the people around here will truly look out for you and that you'll be kept and live for the Lord. Let's pray together. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior. Be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forever. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.